Good morning, happy Sabbath. We are just again ecstatic that you've decided to join. We are in the midst of, as you know, the change of season here in Loma Linda, and so it's been a bit cooler. We hope, though, that the Spirit of God is warm in your hearts. Again, we just want to thank you so much. We received such an outpouring of support over the past couple of weeks. Uh, in messages and little care packets that you've sent. Thank you for to those of you that remembered it was October's Pastor Appreciation Month. We thank you for the cards, the messages, uh, the calls, everything. Uh, if you forgot it's Pastor Appreciation Month, don't fret. You still have a couple <laughs> days to make that up. Um, again, if you value anything that we do, both in this particular ministry and any of the other ministries of the church, and you are watching us uh, from home, remember we cannot do this without media. Media is what makes it mm, possible. Mm. And sometimes they're behind uh, the cameras, as we've said before. But... You can support and show how much uh, they mean to you. Simply go on lluc.org, click on Give, and make sure you highlight media if you want to partner with us in putting good content out there. Uh, Joey's out. Joey is at our North American Division year-end meetings, and so he's back in Barry in Maryland. Um, he might catch a football game here or there. Uh, we all know that uh, the commanders and the score of that football game is a foregone conclusion for they will <laughs> lose. But Joey, uh, it will be out for the next two weeks. Don't fret. I am not going to be doing a monologue today. I've got my colleague and my friend, Pastor Philip, who leads our young adult ministry, and we're going to introduce him in a second. Uh, but before that, we're, we're going to go ahead and pray. So join me as we invite God to share with us god thank you thank you thank you thank you because you've given us a mission mm -hmm. and the mission is simply to be your children mm -hmm. and so as your daughters and your sons we ask that we move in ways that bring you glory mm -hmm. we move mm -hmm. and we say mm -hmm. things that give you honor and so inhabit our conversation, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, Phil, how are you? Hey, good to see you, buddy. Oh, it's always good to see what you. What are all these little gifts you're getting? I well, didn't get any see, little you gifts. Need to get, you, need to get a, you need to get in front of the camera. Friends, Pastor Phil hasn't gotten anything really for like Pastor I really like basketball. And well, there you go. My birthday's on the 5th of December. <laughs> there you go. Um, so if no. you if you want to send Pastor Philip something, you do not need to send me any. Um, send it to my office and I'll make it. Ay, ay, ay. So what's, what's new in your life? I've... Uh, hey. I've seen you up and, and around and it's Doing a busy good. time busy Doing time because it's the school has started so that I means know. your ministry is in full swing again. oh yeah oh yeah no it's been really fun we uh, just launched life groups two weeks ago so we have 16 different life groups happening all around our campus in different homes so that's like uh 250 students mm. which is really wonderful it's exciting to just see them engaging in each other's lives and really building community and friendship particularly when so many are brand new. Mm -hmm. They don't know each other, and so those are really great ways. And then uh, dinner at Lucy's has started Wednesday nights. Those of you who are maybe ever eager to find a way to plug in or even to help financially, it's a big one. We provide uh, 200, 200 plus students dinner every Wednesday night. Anyone who'd like to come is welcome on our campus who's a student. And this really was born out of uh, one of our administrative assistant Janine Royer's heart and uh, and I we kind of came together and was like how do we love on these students who are both potentially you know hungry uh, some of our students every graduation they'll share a story of living out of their car or not having food and we're like how does this happen mm -hmm. and the other thing is just busy students don't have time to cook for themselves and so we try and provide home dinner at Lucy's L-L-U-C-C -C, 
and uh, they just build connections. Friendships are forged. And then right after that, we actually have a prayer meeting, a young adult prayer meeting that happens in our room. So that's been growing, which has been really fun. Oh. And night church happens Friday nights. So we've got between two and 300 young adults that will come out on a Friday evening. So it's a very exciting space. Sabbath school ministry, I forgot about that one, happening Saturday morning. So all kinds of stuff. So, no, it's, it's, it's yeah. a packed, packed, packed time of the yeah. years. And we love, love, love our volunteers. Some of you watch um, and come and volunteer for mm-hmm. Wednesdays at Lucy's. Uh, by the way, my good friend Dick Sample, who makes the most exquisite beans, had we had haystacks last week, and he made me a pot of beans. Uh, Dick, I might see you today. If I don't, uh, I've been eating beans. <laughs> so. And he makes really good fudge too. Oh, he makes the best fudge. Dangerous, very dangerous. He makes the best fudge, yeah. but I and, and I love. Oh, he makes um, yeah. my mouth is going to start watering. He makes this this caramel salt uh sea salt one that is just a perfect combination of sweet and savory all of that i think is born as you said our executive uh our executive assistant who makes this place go round and round janine royer um had this desire to to show hospitality and what a great segue because it seems like this lesson this week is talking about mission within the context of hospitality yeah Yeah. I, i actually really love that because you know, if you think about it, if we want to be the best missionaries we can mm. to God's people who are His creation, though they haven't made a decision for Him or not, what a better way to do that than by just simply saying, hey, how can I practically mm. serve, love, and care for you so that you not only know God's love, but that you know, hey, I love you too. Mm. I care for you. You matter. Mm-hmm. Hospitality is the heartbeat of God mm. uh, to care for us both practically and with salvation itself. We mm-hmm. think about, hey, I want to reach out to all these people so they would be saved. That is essential. That's yeah. primary. But also our call as believers is to ensure that they would know that God desires their very best here on earth. So hospitality is that first gift yeah. that we give people. Yeah. Uh, hospitality is the first gift. Well, you know what I think is is one of the most jarring things and the most stark differences between our world and the world of scripture is the approach to to the stranger or to the one who might be perceived Mm. as the other Mm. uh within the nearing in ancient near east if you were not uh part of my own tribe or of my own clan but you were within my area whether that be my city or my village or my tent it was my responsibility Mm to take care of you. It was my responsibility to look after you. It was my responsibility to ensure that there was a table Mm. for you to come Mm. uh, to. You know, you all know table fellowship meant so much Mm. in in this culture. Whereas now in in our Western context, those, those porous boundaries between those who are in and those who are out have become much more calcified. And so um, I think one of the things that we're trying to do in this community is recover that ideal uh, that is present in the culture yeah, of the ancient yeah. Near East. You know, and that was really why we started the Wednesday evening dinners was just, hey, how can we be a church that these students say, wow, you don't just care for us in our salvation, mm-hmm. but practically there is a spirit of hospitality. Mm-hmm. I, I forgot the name of the author now, but uh, the book that she wrote, Heaven Comes with a House Key. Mm-hmm. Um, let me see if I can find it, but it, uh, the, the heartbeat of it was just simply don't, don't feel as though eternity is just sinking. Hallelujah. It's like God has prepared a place. Mm. He's yearning to be hospitable to you mm. both in this life and the next, mm. um, and to provide a spot where you recognize this is my home. And I think that's the thing we're trying to create mm-hmm. as believers. When we go on God's mission, how can we make home? Mm all over, wherever we are, so that people sense a warmth, Mm. a love, a compassion for them. You know, and the people of the greatest differences with us can still sense that Mm. from us. If we're willing to have those conversations, to sit at the same table, to eat together, laugh together, talk, uh, there's so much more that brings us together beyond the differences. And I think people sense that. I wonder if you've ever thought about the idea that would you eat with someone that you really 
vehemently disagree with. I think that's that's when it all is tested. And so one of the things that I love the most, and uh, we were in the Wadi Rum, uh, for those of you who don't know, Jordan. this is in Jordan. And one of the wonderful things of, of doing that is, uh, other than the fact that you feel like an explorer uh, on the back <laughs> of an uh, open roof Jeep through the desert, one of the best things about that that particular place in the world is that you get to have lunch at a Bedouin tent. Mm. And, you know, Bedouins are these nomadic shepherds who have been living basically in the same way for, for millennia. And one of the things that, that really stood out as we were kind of engaging with, with our hosts is the fact that uh, they, obviously, I mean, we couldn't be much m more different, uh, different cultures, mm -hmm. different uh, faith systems, yeah. different ideological system, different political inclinations. And yet we sat together and our host said, now you're at my table, we are brothers. Mm. And so for them, uh, table fellowship is the way in which deals are brokered. So it makes no sense to eat with someone with whom you agree. Mm. What, you, what you find is those whom you disagree with, those who represent a danger to you, those whom you clash with, those are the people that, uh, at least in mm. the culture mm. of mm. scripture, mm. those are the people that you're, invi well, that you're well. inviting to your table. And our text this this morning really delves into that very idea of a, of a Middle Eastern culture and mm -hmm. strangers emerging. Mm -hmm. And our lead character, Abraham, has to make a decision. Am I going to love these people even though I don't know them? Or what am I right. going to do? Here's what I find so fascinating, Phil. And you, you hinted at this uh, a little while ago, right? When you're talking about Genesis 18, you did, you linked intentionally two concepts that often don't get linked. So you link the concept of mission, which in our current conversation on ecclesiology is going out mm -hmm. with the concept of hospitality, which in our current understanding is how do we create an environment for those that are coming in uh, that is appealing and attractive. Mm -hmm. But by linking them, you've actually said that hospitality is the act of not waiting for people to come and check us out and then say, look at yeah. everything we've prepared for you, mm -hmm. but rather us intentionally going out into mm -hmm. the marketplace of life, finding these people and then dragging them, mm. even before they've asked, dragging them intentionally mm. to our tent yeah. in order to fulfill yeah. their need. And both with what uh, what your uh, young adults do with and uh, through Janine and some of our older volunteers leadership and what happens here in Genesis 18 mm. is it's it's almost this act of mission is hospitality. Mm. So we're going to go out and we're going to drag you to our tent mm. uh, to give you more than you would have expected mm. because mm. that's our mission. You know, I think of the days when I was at college. And I was a poor student, didn't have much. And then you'd get this lingering thought at the end of the sermon, before the final closing song, boy, is someone going to invite me uh -huh. to their house? <laughs> 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 Will there be a meal somewhere for me to eat? And man, there were so many wonderful people that invited uh, myself and Elaine. I remember one holiday season, we didn't have anywhere to go. We weren't going to be able to go home. It was Thanksgiving, just brand newly married. And uh, Ron and Betty Whitehead, amazing couple there at Andrews University, they'd invite students over at their home for Thanksgiving, literally Thanksgiving Day. They could be spending it with their son mm -hmm. and daughter and, and what. It was just like, hey, let's bring more people mm -hmm. into this. I want you to sense home mm -hmm. here with us, uh, drawing you into the mission mm -hmm. that our family senses to, to provide for mm -hmm. those who are without a home. Mm. And that was such a gift. That was such mm. a gift. It, it, I still to this day remember that. And that's almost 18 years mm. earlier, right? Um, so maybe not 18, that was a long time, Six, 16. <laughs> but uh, it, it means a lot. And so I think, of, I think of Abraham here telling these strangers, listen, don't go anywhere. I'm going to, I'm going to prepare a meal for you. I'm going to give my best calf. I'm mm -hmm. going to have bread baked. Like realize how long it takes to bake bread. And here he's like, wait. And these guys are like, we got places to go. Mm. But they also had a mission to do something at his home. Right. And I think there's a reciprocity 
when we do hospitality, mm. that person doesn't anticipate really being able to give much. But these guests said, hey, there's something we want to bring to you and bless you with mm. uh, a deeper understanding of your life, actually. So I think mission is something that we need to be open to, to learning from those who are around our table. As I've, I've heard it said many a time, does everyone look like you around your table? Does everyone talk like you around your table? You probably need to expand your table mm -hmm. fellowship. And coming from a pretty international family, we have black and Hispanic and different, I think four or five languages there. When we have dinners it's like the un mm -hmm. you know and i love that but man i'll be honest with you it's caused tension at times different cultures different sensitivities different feelings different tastes oh i don't like that Ooh. you know people get offended you know i just hey this is my life but i think being open to the hospitality being open to the gift of what someone has to give you is so important um I love I love how this happens here for Abraham in verse in verse six he looks at his wife the visitors have come and he says so Abraham hurried into the tent with Sarah said quick get three sayas of finest flour knead it bake some bread and he ran to the herd selected the choicest of calves then he brought them some curds and milk and prepared before them and then they had a mission of something to mm -hmm. say to them but it didn't start off with hey. I want to get something from these guests. Right. It's first like, I want to bless you with whatever mm -hmm. you need practically. I think that's the heart of evangelism, actually. How can I provide for your basic needs first and foremost? Mm -hmm. Before I ever expect you to make a decision to follow Christ, before anything else, I think we've forgotten the right and left arm of evangelism. Ooh, like, that's, hey, that's old Adventist. I know, lingo. but it, it still holds true to this day. I think we've forgotten to be more practical. Yeah. Your bride and I had a moment to talk a little bit this week and she said, hey, the outreach ministry, it's all about providing for the basic needs of God's people. We want to be faithful to that, mm -hmm. you know, and then allow the rest of you pastors to jump in. But that I think is a neglected field that if we could really hone in more, Abraham just want to provide the yeah. practical needs of these men. Yeah. I think that's so a couple things just jumped out. One of them is you speaking about how you were eagerly waiting for somebody to invite you to their house. Well, that figures because you're gregarious and outgoing. <laughs> I probably wouldn't I like food. I like food. Well, I like food, too, but I would have I would have said I'd rather go hungry than, than have to interact <laughs> in, in those ways. Uh, that notwithstanding, I think one of the key words that you said is reciprocity. And I'll, I'll share why. Often the critique when it comes to our missiology is that it comes off as paternalistic. So if we just jump into the spaces to offer hospitality to people and to drag them, as we said, to drag them to our tent, um, it tends it tends to border on paternalism on paternalism because we're simply saying, hey, we know what you need and we're going to give you what you need. And paternalism means what? Well, it simply means that we are being unaware of the needs and insensitive to the needs and the real uh, desires that the people mm. that we are ministering mm. to have now. When you have a true table fellowship, I love the, the word you used, there's reciprocity. Mm -hmm. And it is in that dialogue, it is, it is in that connection that both we learn how mm -hmm. to do missions and how to practice mm -hmm. hospitality mm -hmm. better. And we learn through, be, through being blessed by those whom we minister mm. to. So when it comes to, to some of the things we do, um, I know you've, you've been involved as well with uh, King's Table, and now we've got uh, Kings and Queens uh, Banquet. Feast, yeah. um, all of that, if the, the language and the structure of these outreach programs are the realization that our lives are deeply enriched by the life experiences mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. the stories of mm -hmm. those whom uh, God has given us. The Maybe honor people don't know what the Kings and Queens feast is going to be that so, the reach department. Yeah, do. so we've had a long tradition, as you know, um, of putting a 
meal out, a very thoughtful and delicious and a meal for, for our unhoused population here in, in the Imperial Valley. And one of the things I love is that there is so much care mm -hmm. that goes into preparing the meal and decorating and uh, placemats. And then we get to sit with people mm -hmm. um, and just unhurriedly talk. Yeah. And I find that that's really what makes what makes the difference. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of places during Thanksgiving mm -hmm. that offer food. Um, you usually uh, go through a line and you, you get your food and then you go and you sit with people. And there's a very clear separation mm. between quote, those who are practicing hospitality and those who are being served. Mm -hmm. What I love about the Kings and Queens banquet, banquet or before when it was called a King's Table was that we used to sit and actually eat side eat by side. Them, yeah. And mm -hmm. in those moments, conversations mm -hmm. were sparked that I think were reciprocal uh, in the sense that they both we were both yeah. enriched. And the thing is, whenever you're receiving something practically, you want to be able to have some dignity too. Right. You know, and so to be able to sit with those that are feeding you in that way, it's a it's a very meaningful space mm -hmm. and to be able to tell them thank you, to look at them in the eyes, you know, as opposed to just feeling like, oh man, I have nothing. Right. You know. And the reality is they they have so much. And they I do. that's why I find uh just Abraham's words so powerful as we are trying to create a framework and a paradigm for uh service and for mm -hmm. for Christian mm -hmm. hospitality that is devoted to mission. Notice what he says, uh, verse three, he says, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. So it's, it's almost as if in the picture, uh, the author of Genesis does such a great job of painting a picture. Here's, here's Abraham just waiting mm -hmm. in an uncomfortable situation, because let's face it, uh, when you are invited to practice hospitality, it almost is never comfortable. You have to push mm, outside of mm, your comfort zone. Mm, mm. So I think that's why he's waiting outside of his tent in the heat of day. And if you've been in the uh, in the desert in the Middle, Middle East, you know how scorching and how brutal this is. There he is waiting for an opportunity. So he has already placed himself outside of his comfort yeah. zone, ready to save, ready to serve. And then when he sees the person uh, who God has brought into his uh, purview to serve, he actually goes, runs up to them and says, may I please serve you? It would be an honor. Mm -hmm. And I think that to, to your point, it does so much at restoring the dignity mm. of those whom we have the honor to serve. Mm. I think of another concept that emerges here, and that is the fact that Abraham recognizes for his truths that he believes deeply in his heart to become evident to those that are around him, they must experience them mm -hmm. before they are to understand them with his words. Mm -hmm. And so he tells them with his words, but he also shows them with his mm -hmm. actions. I remember preaching a sermon, Adventism must be lived mm -hmm. if it is to make any sense to people. We want to teach people about the Sabbath, but did you invite them over to church and have a mm -hmm. meal prepared and a time of fellowship afterwards, go for a walk? Like, oh, you just wanted to tell them what you wanted to tell them because you're right. Right. And then walk away. Oh, I get it. Oh, I, can't. I see. Right. You have no investment in the person. That isn't the heart of Jesus, mm -hmm. actually. He, he yearned to be with people, mm. to spend time with them. We have to get out of our, our comfort zones in order to actually be emissaries of Jesus mm. on this earth. It's really uncomfortable for people when I tell them, particularly when they don't feel like they're extroverts, hey, you're called to also speak and invite people into your space that makes you uncomfortable. And they're like, now everyone has to work from their gifting, their talents. But I think there is, everyone has to recognize like hospitality is at the heart of God's heart and for how he wants to convey his truth to a world mm. that is in so much need. Listen, right now we are in epidemic levels of depression, anxiety, anorexia, bulimia, just, just mental health to, to the nth degree. Do you realize that if we were to become a community of people, if you, your family, wherever you are, were to say, we will invite a family 
group of people over to our home once a month, you would be healing the mental angst, particularly of a young adult generation that is at paramount levels of this. You would profoundly impact a community just by that one thing, mm -hmm. by inviting people so they feel as though their needs, their hurts, their pains are seen and felt by someone else. Even if you don't talk about mental health, you're just providing a space of, wow, I'm around other people that are caring, loving, mm. concerning. So if we want our Adventism to be taken seriously, it must be lived, Miguel. Mm. It must be lived. And I think there needs to be something that that is made clear, abundantly clear, crystal clear. And that is that hospitality isn't the end to uh, the means to an end. Mm. Hospitality is the end within itself because the end, we're in the people business. Mm. Uh, what I think is so important is to think about when this scene occurs in the broader narrative that is Abraham's life. So if you think about this, God is called Genesis 12, Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees. He's given him this promise, right? Uh, I'm going to take you to a land, look at the stars. That's how big your generation, that's how big you are going to become. And, and Abraham has spent the majority of his life from the moment he was called to do something to the moment we meet him in Genesis 18, he has been really, really at work trying to fulfill that mission. Mm -hmm. He has uh, gone for, uh, from country to country and lied his way out of, um, out of a lot of sticky situations. Yeah. Because he wants to keep his family safe, he has he has taken Hagar as his uh, concubine because he wants to ensure that uh, this promise is maintained. He has uh, cut this covenant of circumcision with God because he wants to show his devotion. Abraham has done a lot. Uh, done a lot. Something's good, something's bad. What I find fascinating about Genesis 18 is by this point. Uh, Abraham isn't trying to get this uh, this great, great uh, generation that will number the, the sands of the sea uh, or the stars in the sky. He isn't trying to convince people, uh, at least these three people, of the value of circumcision or of the fact that he has been called with this special message. You don't, ha you don't hear any of that. Mm. All you hear is, let me serve you, and by serving you, I want to give you the best I have. Because mm. that's the end goal. Mm. The end goal, as you're saying, isn't the Sabbath or any of the other beautiful truths we have if it is devoid of simply saying, all of this that we believe is intended for you because in the end, mm. our goal, our mm. mission is people. And I think sometimes that needs to be clarified. Mm. Mm. Often, because we don't have a clear mission, i.e. people, the vision of how we do church gets murky. Mm. And so instead of saying, hey, uh, let's invite uh, people that are that are suffering with uh, loneliness, as you were mentioned, let's invite them to our house. We say, no, no, what we really need is we want to invite people uh, to our home. We'll, we'll feed them after we give them a Bible study. Mm. And not that there's anything wrong with, I love Bible studies. Yeah. That's what we do here, right? Yeah, yeah. But when we when we see our mission as people, the visioning of how we we do church shifts dramatically. Mm. You know, I've been to several shelter ministries where the people had to listen to a sermon before they could eat. Yeah. And uh, something always struck me just off about it, that it was like, hey, and and the people that were directing the space, they're like, no, no, we're not eating. No. And there was like this almost like, mm -hmm. oh, uncomfortable tension there. We have to hear that. I'm like, wow, you know, um, it just doesn't seem to make sense to me. A young adult that I've uh, developed a really meaningful friendship with over the last uh, three years, he's serving time in San Quentin mm -hmm. prison. And he said he had his humanity given back to him by different people coming to visit the prison and just looking at him as a human being still. You know, many in there are there for all kinds of things, sexual um, crimes, murder, 
thefts. I mean, just all kinds of things. And here you have, for instance, an author that I really love. You probably know him, Bob Goff. Mm -hmm. He's part of one of his workshops that actually he does there in San Quentin, the prison there in Northern California. And he said it's just been so meaningful for him to recognize this man doesn't need to be there, but he wants me to feel like I matter. I, I mean something. This gift of his time, his hospitality to him was profound. Mm -hmm. And by that, this young man has found his purpose again in life and has been changed being in his presence because his humanity was given back mm -hmm. to him. This idea of all these truths that Bob Goff wanted to convey didn't make sense until Bob Goff sat around the table with all these guys. Like, hey, I want to hear a story. I want to be in your presence. I want to be around you. So I, I would say we've got to be clear, like hospitality and love have to go first. But I do wonder if I could be a little bit of a... Devil's advocate. Yeah, I don't really like using the word devil there, <laughs> but okay. <laughs> I used it for you, so it's okay. okay. Do I have to love someone if I'm going to tell them the truth? Like, does there have to be a spirit of love with me if I'm going to tell them about the Sabbath, X, Y, and Z, these sort of, you know, do I have to love people if I know in the end this, this will really help them? I, I think, I think that the story uh, that we are reading is so powerful in revealing that because yes, I want to tell you about the Sabbath. But in the way, the way in which I'm going to tell you about the Sabbath is going to be very different depending on what I see my mission to be. Mm. So if my mission is the person, then I'm going to tell them about the Sabbath because I believe that the Sabbath will unlock their best life, that the Sabbath will unlock a storehouse of joy for them. If I believe my uh, mission is the truth, and by the truth, I don't mean a person. I mean a series of facts that you can assent to and that you can hold and have control over. Then I'm going to tell you because I want to, I want to prove how, how good of a purveyor of truth I am. Mm, um, mm. I want to win you over to my side. And when you, when you, when you walk away or you sway or you move out of the straight and narrow of the guidelines that I've set for Sabbath, it becomes very easy for me to condemn you because this truth that I've purveyed, that's my goal. My goal is that you live according to the truth because that's my goal. I am going to take offense at you coloring outside of the margins. Mm. What I love about Abraham is that for Abraham, the mission is the people. And so he is going to show hospitality, not only to these three people that he doesn't know who turn out to be divine emissaries, but think about the amount of hospitality that Abraham shows towards Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm, mm, and the reason he does mm. that, the reason he's able to say, you know what? Mm. Yeah, I'm not going to take offense at all of the mistakes and the debauchery occurring in Sodom and Gomorrah because my goal is people. Mm. It's not me. And so I think you don't have to love people in order to share the truth. The Sabbath is true regardless of how I feel about it or what my motivation to share Sabbath with mm. uh, is. But my reaction to people's failures is going to be markedly different. Mm. And I mm. think if we want to keep people in church, the propositional truths that we hold might be great attractionally, but they don't have that much staying mm. power. Mm. Mm. Wow, Miguel, those were good, man. The story there with Sodom then is our next thing, and it, and it just hits me. Verse 20 of chapter 18. Then the Lord said, there speaking to Abraham, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great. Their sin is grievous. I will go down to see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that's reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away all the righteous and the wicked? And this actually begins this dialogue. Really what's happening, this is a prayer. Mm -hmm. This is communing mm -hmm. with God. So hospitality, love, those are essential spaces to begin. But then do we actually take that next step to follow up with 
praying for, mm. praying for a community of people that we want to reach. Mm. Actually, like what one of our previous uh, pastors is here. It's on our campus. It's now with Faith for Today, Roy Ice. Pastor Roy created um, a wonderful workbook, The 12 People That You Love. And one of those was really just saying, hey, I'm going to I'm going to write down 12 names of people that mm. I'm going to intentionally pray for that I want to just draw near to the household mm. of God. Um, there's a different way of doing it. Instead of just listing the names, you can put yourself in a circle and then outcroppings, what are called an oikos map, mm -hmm. which is literally oikos just means household. So it's like, what are the people that are connected to you in your life that you want to draw closer to the household of God? Maybe they're, you're not using the word lost, but you want them deeper in understanding Jesus and, and the gospel. And, and I think what, what Abraham's doing here, he's saying, hey, how can I draw these people closer mm -hmm. to the heart of God? I, I see that they're in need. Lord, you're saying that they're in rebellion. What can we do? Mm -hmm. Can we talk about this? Will you destroy all of it? God, please, might we consider just saving it for a few? And the Lord's gracious. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I want to, Abraham. I do. Let's find that many there. Mm -hmm. what, what, what always strikes me about about Abraham's conversation with the Lord, which is obviously one of, I think, the most beautiful examples that the Old Testament has of intercessory prayer, mm -hmm. is the power that intercessory prayer has at, at aligning our desires and mm -hmm. our intentions with the desires and the intentions that God has. Evidently, God wishes to save Sodom and Gomorrah more than Abraham yeah. does. Yeah. Uh, what I find fascinating is that Abraham intercedes for those who have who find themselves uh, separated from the heart of God? Because mm. I, I think the word loss leads us into, as right. you said, into right. this this space that right. that maybe isn't healthy. Right. And as I was reading this this week, I thought about a story of D.L. Moody, mm. uh, the great uh, great evangelist, because we think that. Uh, intercession, again, is about connecting you to a set of propositional truths. Moody had this, uh, had this list mm. um, that he carried. He, did, he had this intercessory prayer list. And on the list, he had a hundred names of oh. people who found themselves out, who found themselves separated from the heart of God, who by their own choices or by their lifestyle, by maybe their ideas or the views of God, found themselves at odds with the heart of mm. God. And Moody would pray for them faithfully. Mm. By the end of Moody's life, 96 of those 100 people that he had you know, on that list had come back wow. to experience meaning and wow. life and effervescence in the presence of God. And as pastors, a 96% uh, success big. rate, we'd all take it. Yeah. Except during Moody's funeral, the four people that hadn't uh, returned home uh, learned about Moody's constant prayer for them. And they were so moved by this mm. that they too gave uh, their heart wow. uh, and their lives to God. Wow. And I think... We sometimes miss the the point of intercessory prayer, just like we miss the point of hospitality. We often think that prayer is part of our Christian duty, or that by my praying, I'm going to change God's mind. Just like we think that hospitality is uh, part of our Christian do duty, and by changing and by offering hospitality, we can kind of sneak in church on, into the back door and change people's mind on how they view church. Both of those are wrong approaches. The point of hospitality and the point of intercessory prayer is to align us with what God is already doing, to align our hearts, our minds, our spirit mm. to that which God is already doing at mm. the world, both creating mm. spaces where we can feel welcome mm. and obviously mm. interceding for us so that mm. we may know how deeply mm. we are loved. That's so beautiful, brother. I think prayer and... Um confession actually also go together mm -hmm. so you're talking about maybe an unbelieving world or one that has yet to make a decision for christ mm. the the words of brother jesus is uh you know friend there james in james chapter 5 verse 16 it's something that i use with with guys regularly we we quote it together we talk about it and it is 
confess your sins mm. one to another, mm. pray for each other mm. that you may be healed. Mm. For the prayer of a righteous person availeth much. Um, not to contradict what you're saying, but just simply more so to add to it the fact that, you know, any one of these people in Sodom and Gomorrah could have been mm -hmm. saved. You know, Lot and his daughter seem to have been the only ones who would have said, hey, I'm going to heed the counsel of the Lord. I'm out. I'm leaving. I'm getting out. And I think each one of us has to do that when we go into a space of confession, like, God, I'm in a bad place. I got to get out. Mm -hmm. I need to confess this before you. I don't know, viewing audience, where you're at in your life, is there something that you sense the need? Lord, I need to confess this. I, I need to lay this burden at your feet. I've, I've got to get this out of my life. And it's a really important space for each one of us to be in mm. regularly with Jesus. I remember a season in my life when I was really struggling with something. And and I just had a wonderful mentor in my early years in my life. Just put his arm around me and said, Philip, let's walk through this together. Mm. We're, we're going to make it through this. And it, it meant the world to me. Mm. And we would meet regularly. We'd talk about the issues and we'd pray for each other. Mm. And, you know, there's something to confessing. But there's also something to recognizing, wow, when we pray, we're being brought before the throne of grace, mm -hmm. where the healing comes mm -hmm. from. There is healing in the confession because I know I'm not carrying the burden anymore mm -hmm. by myself. But then it's like, wow, let's bring it before Jesus mm -hmm. who will bring healing to my wounding mm -hmm. and, and looks at me now with mercy. Hey, my son, it'll be okay. I don't know how many of you right now might need that. Just reassurance that in your life that God looks upon you and your struggle and says, my son, my daughter, I yearn for you. I, I yearn for you to live your very best life, to, to be in a space of wholeness and healing. So I just want to encourage you to take a moment, maybe even now, push pause. Just take a moment just to confess your own sin in your life or confess the ways that you yearn to live in a in Christ's better ideal mm. and to just ask for his healing and mercy in your life. So take a moment. Didn't that feel good? The, the thing that I find so powerful, and this is another type of prayer, we talk about intercession. Another type of prayer that scripture is full of is the prayers of confession. And you know what I find so fascinating about that particular passage you quoted in James is that it states, not only do you confess to God, but you confess to one another. Mm. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who I know you you read and, and you love, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. talks a lot about this discipline of corporate confession. Mm. And the reason why that is necessary is because corporate confession allows for reciprocity at the table. Again, we're going to go back to hospitality. Mm. It's interesting that Bonhoeffer connects this idea with the sacraments and with um, the Lord's Supper and with the cross. And I think all of that is connected. At the cross, we find the home that God has made for us, i.e. hospitality. And so our confession needs to be grounded at the cross. Mm, mm. And our capacity to be one another's confessors mm. needs to be grounded at the cross, mm. needs to be again grounded in charity and hospitality. But beyond that, the fact that we are transparent in confessing to one another, in being open and honest. Now, this doesn't mean that uh, we kind of, we, we engage in this uh, desire to simply extol our mistakes and to show right. and to glorify what right. we've done. Or but, to be a mediator. Or to be a mediator. As uh, some of our friends like to do. But to have a mentor, the, somebody that that is deeply cemented at the cross that we can go to and that mm -hmm. can come to us. What that does is it takes away the illusion of mimicry when it comes to our Christian communion. And in the end, what happens is you have the capacity to sit at the, ta at the table communally. And so I think both intercession as that which we do uh, 
on behalf of Jesus and confession, that which uh, God calls us to do so that we are uh, forgiven and cleansed. Mm. Those two type of prayers are extremely important, but both of those prayers need to be grounded mm. in the act of hospitality that God has provided a space for redemption, for salvation, mm. for forgiveness. Mm. Awesome. You know, there's a really beautiful quote that I, I would love to read to everyone that just comes from um, Patriarchs and Prophets talking about this act mm -hmm. of what happened here. If I could read that. Go for ahead. Us. If you have Patriarchs and Prophets at your home, beautiful book by Ellen White talking about this story on page 140. She writes this, love for perishing souls inspired Abraham's prayer. Mm. While he loathed the sins of that corrupt city, he desired that the sinners might be saved. His deep interest for Sodom shows the anxiety that we should feel for the impenitent. We should cherish, we should cherish hatred of sin, but pity and love for the sinner. All around us are souls going down to ruin as hopeless and horrible of that which befell even Sodom. Every day the probation of some is closing. Every hour some are passing beyond the reach of mercy. And where are the voices of warning and entreaty to bid the sinner flee from this fearful doom? Where are the hands stretched out to draw him back from death? Where are those who with humility and persevering faith are pleading with God for him? The spirit of Abraham was the spirit of Christ, the son of God of himself, the great intercessor of the sinner's behalf. He who has paid the price for its redemption knows the worth of the human soul mm. with an antagonism to evil such as can exist only in a nature spotlessly pure. Christ manifested toward the sinner a love which infinite goodness alone could conceive. In the agonies of crucifixion, himself burdened with the awful weight of sins of the whole world, he prayed for his revilers and murders. Father, forgive them, for they know not mm. what they do. And this last idea a, a, that came from our lesson kind of comments. And this kind of comes from first uh, from John 4, 8, and it describes that God is love. And that, I think, is at the heartbeat of what God has towards all who are both sinner and saved. And this was just the really beautiful thing here. Within that same letter from John, it states that those who have been witnesses to the love of God will share that love with the broader world. If what people share is not a demonstration of love, then it is not part of God's mission and should not be shared. Mm. So I, th I think a lot of this heartbeat of Abraham was, man, a love for the people mm -hmm. that were strangers and a love for this dying city of which his own family was part of. And I think we got to ask ourselves, hey, am I motivated by love? Am I eager to see these people grow closer to Jesus? Am I eager to draw closer to mm -hmm. them? So, yeah, I think one of the things that often takes a lot of discernment and a lot of spiritual maturity, perhaps that's why this scene can only happen this late in Abraham's life, as we know. Um, they're they're advanced in age by the time Abraham goes and, and steps into that uh, intercessory role. Um, and as, as Ellen White puts it, uh, when he has the heart of Christ, is because at this stage in his life, he has realized that there is a difference between how I view people and how I view, I view their behaviors or their actions. Mm, wow, that's a big difference. At no moment mm. do you condone sin. You can't. Right, you cannot right. be apathetic towards sin. Right. You cannot be apathetic towards abuse, mm -hmm. towards mistreatment, mm -hmm. towards violence. But my job isn't to be... Uh, the purveyor of what sin is and what the wages of sin are. That's that's beyond my purview. And thankfully it is because I could not do an effective job uh, if that was my task. My task is to have the Spirit of Christ where I am able to discern the limitless value that a person has in mm -hmm. spite of what they do and to say, 
God is the one who will judge Mm -hmm. your actions, Mm -hmm. your behavior, your temperament, Mm -hmm. your inclinations. My job is to show you that as long as you're willing, there's a place for you within at my table, Mm. in my tent, Mm. in this community. Mm. Mm. Because you, in the end, you, the daughter and the son of God, are my ultimate purpose. Mm -hmm. People people are our mission. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Phil, as always, it's an enlightening conversation, um, but we're sadly out of time, so... Uh, pray for us as as yeah, we as we try it. to be hospitable. Let's do it. Amazing God, thank you so much for the mercy that you've poured out on each one of us. Lord, this morning, this afternoon or evening when we watch this, God, I pray for my friends who are watching that you would give them a spirit of confession, repentance, that they might come back in harmony with you. Lord, I don't know if it's actions with a spouse, a friend, a coworker, or it's things that happen just personally and behind closed doors or just wherever the place is. Jesus, would you unlock that heart of just confessing those sins before you and receiving the gift of your grace. And then beyond that, Father, I also pray for a spirit of power to overcome those things that have clouded our minds. Lord, we think of the Beatitudes, for the pure in heart will see God. Lord, we want to see you clearly. I pray that over myself, over Miguel, our team here. Jesus, thank you so much for this Sabbath day. Your mercy upon us today. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen. Amen. So dear friend, daughter and son of God, shocking as it may be, I'll admit we're not perfect. We confess that. But we don't stay in that space of guilt and shame Mm -hmm. for the Lord has prepared a table and a seat for you where where grace and mercy abound. Mm -hmm. So may that knowledge drive you forth until we meet next time. Mm -hmm. God bless. Mm